clear. We are the weirdos. I am God. What? I tried to warn her. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Osterion. I am your host, Sam Weinman, joined by my co-host. Jordan Cruciola, fellow Osterion Crusader. And we are here to love films with you. That is exactly why we're here. I, I say that because I am so tired of film snobs. And I'm yeah. leading the episode with this. I am done. If you're going to turn your nose up at something that somebody else loves, mm -hmm. you can fuck right off. That's right. Um, there are 100,000 podcasts for that. But <laughs> 100, dear listener, quite literally 100,000 podcasts for that. But somehow you made your way here today. And friend, friend you've, you've had a hard you week. Have, you have waited for this moment. <laughs> you have waited for this guest to come by mm -hmm. and tell you specifically that House of Wax is fucking amazing. Yeah. And it's totally okay to love Paris Hilton. That is true. We In are joined by a yep. very special guest today. Yeah, uh, we have somebody joining us. Sorry, Jordan, I cut you cause. off. No, we, I was just going to say we have somebody joining us in this cause, Celebre, as well. We to, are so lucky. To compound this case for House of Wax. I would like to introduce our guest today, Brie Russell. Um, Brie, would you introduce yourself? Hi. Yeah, thank you. That was really exciting. And I, I'm... <laughs> I'm happy to be holding the flag at the front of the crusade for this. Excellent. The <laughs> color, the color bearers. <laughs> yeah, I'm Bree. Uh, I work in a library. Uh, I studied film for a million years. Uh, higher education, all kinds of education for film. And I met Sam in college. We were roommates um, and just loved on films together in our household yeah. uh, with a passion. And actually, that is how I came to know this film was through you. Wait, so it's, I didn't know that. Wait, did I know that? Honor. I don't think you knew that. I don't know. Maybe. I love that reveal. <laughs> and well, then, now I'm curious, how did, now with the film studies, how did that lead into the library sciences? When did that become the path? Uh, so I guess it was before. Libraries have always been the path. That's like, was my first job. Books, very important. Literacy, everything. Libraries, okay. incredible public good. Yes. Um, and I went to school uh, I went and got a master's in film and media studies, thought I wanted to be in academia, you know, like in academia, be a professor, mm -hmm. uh, realized that was not the path. And so then redirected back to what I know and love, which is libraries. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm fighting the good fight uh, for all of books and literature. Absolutely. Uh, I fucking love that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Brie, I am so excited that you're here. Um, I, I obviously connect with you uh about literature i was so when we were when i was going to school brie was studying film and i was studying literature that's English. right and we so stopped. i can't believe that's actually why am i just realizing that's what we did because i took your life we freaky friday <laughs> yeah we freaky friday because that's when i realized that i wanted to get into film <laughs> because i was like sitting there on the couch watching suspiria with you a hundred times while you wrote that goddamn paper oh my god and that goddamn paper <laughs> Had, the, I've never seen a clip as many times as that woman in the window. That and, scene analysis of that, that, that knocking, that loud knocking and that screeching soundtrack. And here's what's special about when, 
you came to House of Wax, I think, because it was like 2010, 2011, maybe. Mm, So it had been out five or six years. When it was still just a piece of shit to people. Completely rejected, right? Yeah, people were just shitting on it left and right. It did not have its cute Shout Factory release. You know what I mean? Like That might have actually been the worst time for it because even when it came out, like people who went and saw it, they made up their minds. And they're they're, like, I remember seeing it when he came to, I was was a big fan. But like people went out, made their their choices, but the fans did exist. And then, but in that middle time period between now and the original release, like that exact moment in time was probably the, the depths of its disrespect. Most I agree. There no reclaiming had been done. Twitter didn't really exist in in earnest yet, which is where a lot of these grassroots reclamations get their steam is through this this, you know, in the way that Twitter can be such an echo chamber when when it's a good echo. You have something like what happens with Jennifer's body where this support metastasizes Mm. and people see and have repetition enough at like justice for Jennifer's body. This is awesome. This is awesome. This is awesome. At a certain point, it almost just like fucking reprograms you to think a certain thing is awesome. This did not experience anything like that yet. You were just it was basically a hidden treasure when you It really was. It It really was. Yeah. I was just going to say because uh, film snobs. (laughs) <laughs> did not like this movie. Yeah. And that's why I had to leave with it. I had to come out swinging. Uh, Brie, tell us why this movie is a buried treasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this, and I, I will say that it, uh, part of it is right in reaction to, I've always had an appreciation for uh, not loved films, mm-hmm. crap, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever adjective you want to throw in that isn't part of the pantheon, the criterion of you know, what you're taught in film school. Totally. And uh, specifically, horror films have always been very near and dear to my heart. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember because you had your shelf of DVDs and you would go away for the weekend and I'd like pick out a film or two every weekend and I'd watch <laughs> something that you owned that I didn't hadn't seen. And I watched it and it was just immediately like, there had been nothing. I mean, one, the casting is incredible. Like, incredible. As, incredible it's such a perfect time capsule of Mm -hmm. of the specific time period of like 2005 and um also that when you could have people who like Paris Hilton not really an actress but like in a film in a starring kind of role yeah and she held her own I think yes she does she absolutely does in this movie she does exactly what she is called upon to do she is she is exactly what is needed in this film and then this led to i believe afterward it led to um which you guys covered repo Mm -hmm. uh i think was after this incredible amazing Mm -hmm. i mean so underrated but also the the practicality as somebody who like uh you know appreciates older film and like older film craftsmanship like the practicality of the the massive scale of sets the world that is believable it's just like they, you don't have that because this is like when I saw it too. This was like post hostile, post saw. Mm-hmm. So we're now into torture porn and the the kind of just uh, it's just horror had changed. It had shifted, mm-hmm. and and this was just something that felt very old, but also like just so spoke to me on a level of like yes, this is what I want to watch. I want to watch this giant town. And like all of these weird fucking creepy wax figures and this weird dude who's like maybe kind of hot. Yeah. And this sort of weird complicated relationship between a brother and a sister. Um, That's very pseudo romantic. Then that speaks to the pacing too. Because I feel like we also get a lot of like 
character in this film, which isn't uh-huh. necessarily always the trend now. Yeah, with, yeah. Um, at, like after this kind of period of uh, horror films where we're just sort of thrown into situations, whereas this is like a slow burn where we get the dynamics, we get the, and it's just, it's perfect. It's so fun. It's so fun. They climb out of the house of wax at the end. <laughs> they climb out of the, they climb out of the words house of, of wax the at the end. How could you not love it? Through the letters. I, it's perfect. I, what you are describing, Brie, are all of the hallmarks of a film that would never be made today. I just, I, 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 I so enjoyed it at the time when it came out in 2005, but it was, it was, we'll get into what it is and what it was, but like, I had a good time, but it was, it was similar enough to the style of how things were happening that I couldn't fully appreciate its specialness. But now years down the line, watching it again, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is so a cut above the rest of everything that was going on around it. And what I would consider um, as far as the spectacle remakes of the era go, I don't think the Hitcher is really a spectacle remake. The Hitcher is the Hitcher is a remake, but it's not like a spectacle remake. It's pretty. It's a true perfect with, remake. Yeah, it's a perfect remake, and it's it's a it's it's a stripped down movie, much like the stripped down original. This is the best spectacle arts movie I think of of that time. Like at a time when uh, we've we've touched on this a bit on the pod before, but one of the things I miss the most about this era that we're just never, we aren't ever going to have again. Like money, the money just not there. The set pieces in this movie, the production design, like the amount of, the amount of resources put into making this as crazy and amazing looking as it is that on the, like you don't get that now unless Guillermo del Toro is deciding to make like a big studio horror film like Mm. you it's not just gonna be the order of the day that whatever remake gets ginned up it's going to get a full wax house that's going to disintegrate by the end and this is just this is the fireworks display of spectacle remakes of the 2000s for me hey there's that house of wax it is wax Literally. This is weird. And here, okay, so here I want to present this to the room. There is obviously uh, very much through uh, the power of what A24 has built as a brand Mm. and as a studio, this, you know, and we don't, fortunately, the term doesn't plague us so much as it did a few years ago, but the notion of elevated horror, the Mm. art house drama aesthetic brought to the horror genre to give the sense of something really credible looking, really art directed. You know, that kind of what I think is is very much affixed to the notion of Ari Aster and, and outside of horror and obviously in A24 with a movie like The Green Knight coming out now, like they have made aesthetic a, a narrative element in a way that like it, it's their it's their signature like it's their real claim to fame. Things look like A24 movies and that's the kind of branding they've been able to achieve. I posit i posit that truly like all what we see in that is simply a repackaging of aesthetic as narrative that we saw last in the 2000s yes like that was the like it is it is the more museum exhibit looking version of that but that is exactly what 2000 spectacle horror did so well with budgets we will Never see again in mass-produced horror as the norm. Oh my God, Jordan! Yes. Okay. Okay. Wow. A twenty-four is the Getty, and yes, the 
the aughts are like the Jura- Museum of Jurassic Technology. Yes! Like, like, weird <laughs> janky. Uh, <laughs> yes! That You're, is... You that is the analogy. From a friend of a friend. This comparison, like, no wonder these movies speak so much to me. That as I have been guided to the Museum of Jurassic Technology and told that that would be such a place for me, and as are 2000s horror movies. And yet, because of fucking snobbery, it is, it is you know, A24 has this sort of gilded identity, whereas, like, it, it still takes excusing to talk about the merits of 2000s horror in this way. Brie, I'm so glad that you brought this to us and we get to sit down and really dig into this very important moment in Ott's film history. Um, I want to know if you're building, if you were building a core curriculum around House of Wax, what does that outline? What does that course outline look like? Oh my gosh. Jordan, that's such a fucking good question. What a question. You should be a journalist. Yeah, I I should be involved in something where I'm asking questions for a living. That's so good. Like, you know, and you don't have to get into the weeds of it, but if you had like, all right, these are our like main bullet points and underneath there's obviously a lot of minutia in the subcategories, but like, what would your subcategories be Mm, for a a House of Wax class? Well, I think it's, I mean, it is Warner Brothers. So I think like how the studio system works mm-hmm. in terms of like how Warner Brothers and the history of Warner Brothers with horror is interesting. Um, and like, yeah, it's sort of like a big tentpole. And this movie didn't, I don't think made money. It, I, it I didn't do looking. great. No. It didn't do great. It did not do great. Which I also, so I also speak, think speaks to the fact that like a film like this wouldn't get made anymore because it's so hard for it to be profitable. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um yeah, I think looking at how the studio systems work and how films, but also in terms of like um, genre, like the uh, the mise-en-scene. Yeah. Like when you're reading in through the... <laughs> Sorry. <When laughs> no, you're... had to do it. Had to be done. <laughs> when you're reading in, when you're reading into, uh, you know, how the genre and how horror specifically with like location and setting and mm-hmm. uh, lighting... Also, the soundtrack is really interesting in this film, too, because it is using that kind of marketing, like, we're going to make a soundtrack with pop music for this, mm-hmm. which right. I feel like wasn't as done. I would have to look into that. But I know like that, that was, was really that was still era. the era where because I feel like the and I, I could be I'm not going to say I'm definitively right about this, but such a key um, property in in making the soundtrack and art form in the in the millennium era was the O.C., um, oh, and, and yes. not that it was the only one doing it. I'm not going to say it's the first thing that did it, but like as, as hitting me at the age it did and being for the audience, it was that really like buying the OC soundtracks was really cool being, you know, you know, not proliferate internet, but common internet finding like that one web page where somebody exhaustively cataloged every song that was in every episode. So you could know the playlists like that also, was such that person did the music for Gossip Girl too, and like a number of things. So everything yeah. that ever informed any of our Wait, did Alex uh, Patsavas do House of Wax? Not that I know of. I oh, just okay. was I thought bringing you were up saying, Gossip Girl. I thought you were tied. Okay, no, no, yeah. no. What no, I was no, going to yeah. say is Josh um, Schwartz, Alex music. Al- his I've supervisor gotta, was. Alex I've got to jump in and do a yeah. little borders here because you know I do. Of course. Um, yeah. And and this is how you can <laughs> kind of track the the evolution of the soundtrack because because I think what a lot of people don't realize is like in the year two thousand, that's when Napster was taken down. And so Napster was our source for MP3s and the mix CD, right? Like the Mm mixtape used to just be recording from different CDs onto a tape. Mm -hmm. Then the mix CD happens. But really, 
you know, if you wanted a mix CD that wasn't now, that's what I call music number two yeah. or three, right? You were, you were getting a, <laughs> totally. a soundtrack. Yeah. And what is really interesting about soundtracks, I think what you're pointing to, Jordan, is the peak of it with uh, uh, in pop cultural mm -hmm. uh, relevance because at Borders, we had an OC section in soundtracks. We had For soundtracks. Sure. Oh, I remember that. And then we had the OC. Yep. And it was just each volume, the Christmas one, all that. It's like because it was that important. They were a huge part of that show. And much like the way softcore was specific to those like late 90s, early 2000s, so too was the soundtrack because it was when the it was when we wanted the mix. It was right between a period when we could make our own mixes in a proliferate way and it being surreptitious and a thing that you're like kind of tech savvy friend who had Napster or had LimeWire would do, but maybe not necessarily everyone did. So there was that brief period of time in 2005 is absolutely in there when the mm -hmm. soundtrack was like you said, Sam, how you got mixes mm -hmm. were soundtracks, but it wasn't to the point where streaming was ubiquitous, where you could just call up anything on demand. And you don't, you don't need to buy soundtracks anymore. I think culturally, I like you bring, I like the idea of that for a curriculum fit because culturally the presence of the highly curated soundtrack and the, and the sonic aesthetic mm -hmm. of the movie music in a hot horror soundtrack was so specific to the time. That is a whole cultural session to talk mm -hmm. about the soundtrack of this movie. So, you know, when I'm talking about like the, the spectacle remake of the era, Something we oddly uh, in season one didn't quite get into that much is the very beginning of the remake machine. Like what I think what really catalyzes what we understand of the as the remake era in the in the aughts is that one two punch of the House on Haunted Hill and the Haunting. And mm. those two happened. And then it was like, everyone decided like, okay, let's just keep doing this forever. And what, what you a way to pinpoint that, by the way. Yes, that is yeah. absolutely what it was. Yeah. I, and, and what you and dark and the, the house on haunted Hill is a product of dark castle entertainment and they churn out so much fucking material between dark castle and um, platinum dunes in the 2000s, you have such a sweep of what we know as the aesthetic of that era in that pretty much 0 to 10 proper zone. And from Dark Castle, you have you start with House on Haunted Hill in 1999. They next give us 13 Ghosts, which I think is right on the heels of House of Wax for like that title of Spectacle Remake. There's Ghost Ship, there's Gothica. Then you have House, oh, House yeah. of Wax and then after that, a little on down the line, which is absolutely going to end up in this podcast, you have Orphan. So mm. like Dark <sighs> Castle wow. Entertainment is serving what a, what a you 2000s. But the House of Wax movie is really where I think the potential of this era's mentality of more is more is really realized in its best form. It is, it is giving us, I think, the pinnacle of stunt casting of the time with Paris hmm. and you absolutely you have you have literal white tank top in the tank top horror zone you have the sexy ensemble cast that includes Alicia Cuthbert Jared Padalecki Sean Michael Murray like Chad Michael Murray and of course Paris like you have so many of the criteria for an aughts hit in this movie it's just staggering and Sam, I know you are going to want to speak 
to the cultural, the surrounding cultural context of what 2005, 2005 means to us and therefore how we should consider what House of Wax means to us. I know that a lot of you have heard me talk about 2007 mm-hmm. and what leads up to it. This is a crucial year for 2007. All of the seeds are planted. 2005 is very important for 2007. It is. 2007 could never have happened without 2005. <laughs> well I said. Mean, li- really. Well said. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And that is it for me today. And thank you very much, everybody. Uh, oh, I, uh, I think the best way to look at it is through the lens of its star, Paris Hilton. And mm-hmm. House of Wax isn't just Paris Hilton, friends, because we have uh, Chad Michael Murray. Brie, who else is in this? Jared Padalecki from who just gets supernatural at this time. Yeah. Like, right. Like he's not yet, he's not yet who we know him to be. He's not yet a, uh, what what are their, what are their names? Uh, the Winchesters. He's not yet a Winchester. He is just baby face. Scary movie. I think that's John, John Abrahams. John. Thank you. Dalton is John Abrahams. Dalton. Dalton. That was, listen, I feel like Dalton is my anchor in this film. <laughs> I don't know yes. why. I, I just, I just, <laughs> I'm in through his perspective because I just feel like he's the queerest character. Mm. Um, but I before mean, well, we go there, yeah, Harris Hilton. Um, so at this time, she's just done the Carl's Jr. commercial. Oh, the yes. infamous car wash and eat the burger thing we that we've it? seen imitated a billion Absolutely times. Absolutely. She is a cultural moment. Incredible. In my brain. Yes. Um, it, if you have seen it, Right, you can't forget it. Uh, <laughs> it will never leave. Um, have you either of you seen Nine Lives, her other horror film that came before this? Yes, I have. Oh, yes, I have. Okay, so there's a little tea on this because it was actually released, I think, like film festival wise in 2002, and it was before all of this blow up. But it's because of the success of Simple Life that it was released to DVD, straight uh, like on every video store shelf um, in 2004. It's a garbage film. Interestingly, um, it's co-written or additional dialogue by Tom McRae, who uh, wrote Everybody's Talking About Jamie. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's it. The, all the things are there uh, for it to be a success. It is... Watch the trailer. That's it. Um, <laughs> so when when this comes along, when House of Wax comes along, there's kind of a big build, and everybody knows it. And mm-hmm. the uh, who's the company that put it out? Uh, well, it's Village okay. Road, it's Village Roadshow and Warner Brothers. I guess. Okay. So because I'm trying to remember which website I logged into, because I think it was a bigger merch store. But if you were gay in 2005, you bet your ass you try to get a C Paris Die T-shirt. I want one. If somebody has one, I'll buy one. I will. No, I, I have set OG. up alerts. I have tried to find it on eBay. I cannot. I, I tried. I just, exist. Who has they have them? to, people, people do have them. I've never seen one, Ugh. but what happened is they, as a part of their campaign, it was Steve Paris die, which is both commenting on the oversaturation and demand for Paris Hilton. Mm-hmm. So imagine being like the star, the, the most famous person in the world. You are put into a movie where you're not considered an actor. The only thing mm-hmm. you made was a trash horror movie. And yet the tagline is Steve Paris die. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a, it is a wink. It is a stab. Yeah. <laughs> it is a very complex thing. But if you're queer, you have you recognize this very queer moment mm. um, and try and get the T-shirt. I didn't. Mm. Well, and I, I think it, an, an important thing for me um, uh, at this time, if we're speaking to the level of like ubiquity, <clears throat> Paris is a very self-generating star. Like it's the 
you know, the beginning of sort of people's confusion around like, oh, why is she famous? Because she's famous. Oh, why is she famous? Oh yeah, the sex tape. And then whatever momentum she has, she, you know, generates into actual enterprise. You have entered the fragrance. And then in 2005, you have Paris doing the guest by Marciano campaigns. Mm -hmm. I am a real sucker for guests by Marciano campaigns. I They have a very specific profile of the kind of models they put in their campaigns. They have full lips. They all look like a version typically of Sophia Loren. Like it's that kind yes. of aesthetic. It's that kind of body. It's that kind of makeup and styling and hair and sexiness and lips. Um, Anna Nicole Smith is famous, was famously a guest by Marciano mm. face. Um, Claudia Schiffer is famously a guest by Marciano face. And the Paris Hilton guest ads, those were taped up in my room. They were taped up in my, my friends, Allison and Tim lived together at the time. They both had those those ads in their bathrooms like because they're good people because they're good people (laughs) this is sophomore year of college and the the carl's jr ad ubiquity with the guest ad campaign ubiquity just blanketed across retail paris hilton is inescapable in 2005 so you probably have some opinion about her whatever it is and there are enough people out there who are annoyed that she's famous because she's famous that you can sell something off of the tagline see paris die enough people have a like the monoculture still exists at this time and just the fact of you existing in a horror movie even giving away What's going to happen to you? See Paris die. They're not even saving it till you get to the theater. Yeah, they're they like, want she's not the final you. girl, girl. Yeah, they want it to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they want you to punch that ticket to see it happen. And to, just to clarify where we are in the timeline, Paris has still not really done wrong at this point. She's had successful seasons of TV. She hasn't released her album yet, which I love, but not everybody did. She ha- she doesn't have that iconic photo of her climbing into a car with Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears. That's all next year. Mm-hmm. She didn't get her DUI and she didn't go to jail until right, 2007. Say, and then yeah. So, mm-hmm. yes. So we're looking at a pristine Paris at the peak or at the top of her career at that point, because it just keeps getting bigger in different ways. Which I think is an important thing to remark upon too, in the context of how I open with talking about House of Wax being a zenith of the aughts in that way. This is in the way that like uh, 2007 is sort of a culmination of the aughts, like what hath we wrought sort of era. 2005 is when it is just only on the up and up. Like it is just, that stock is just soaring. Keep buying in, Mm -hmm. keep getting more shares because we have got a good thing going on here. The culture is just getting bigger, faster, brighter, more excessive. Someone like Paris is still on her crescendo before everything sort of comes to that halt in, in, as you have explained many times, 2007. And what you have in House of Wax is pre-saturation for this model of the way movies are being produced in this era too. So it really Mm -hmm. is where the machine is at its most finely honed kind of precision. And also it's absolutely most reckless because it has not had to answer for anything that it has produced yet. That's a cliffhanger. (laughs) I love that. I'm like, oh my God, what happened next? Um, (laughs) The thing about the advertising combined with the C Paris die 
campaign, which of course Paris is taking pictures in front of with the paparazzi. Yeah. So we're like, okay, she's in on it. We can feel comfortable with it. But right. like, could we? Mm-hmm. Um, there was also the the commercial, which was saturated with P- like camcorder footage designed to evoke mm-hmm. the memory of last year's sex tape. Yep. It is, and it is planted throughout the film mm-hmm. in a very like haphazard and extra kind of way, but in an, in a knowing nod to what we know Paris for. Mm-hmm. And in a way it's, it's so boldly meta mm-hmm. that I'm like, okay, House the wax. Yeah, I'm here. Let's, let's do this. Well, and I think too, that um, an important, an important feature of this movie revolving around Paris Hilton is that she speaks in her normal voice. When you watch this movie, <gasps> right. you that's don't so, hear Paris the character, yeah. the baby doll voice. Like you do, there, that's not it. Paris has a low, almost husky voice. It's it's smoky. And oh from God. immediately upon being in, introduced to her character in this movie, they're sitting at like a burger joint and her and Alicia Cuthbert are like eating fries. And she's like, oh, oh my God. Like it is amazing. Deep. It is resonant. And you're like, <laughs> oh shit. Like, if you didn't know, that might have been the first time you heard Paris Hilton's normal speaking voice. And if you, like, if you hadn't been tuned in to, uh, to The Simple Life, if you hadn't been, like, watching her career, but you just knew she was around everywhere and you heard, that's hot, like, you just heard the takeaways, that could have been the first time that you were, and you might have thought to yourself, like, is she putting on, is this part an act? When in reality, that's actually just what Paris sounds like. And that's, that's what Paris is. I don't know, it's getting late. What do you want to do? Keep going. We don't even have tickets. Babe, there's going to be a million scalpers there. Besides, if we keep driving, there's no way I'm staying up for this game. Why don't we just camp out? I mean, we're close enough, right? Yeah, let's just pull over here. Come on. We'll wake up early. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) My jaws on the floor. (laughs) I also can't believe, I mean, I I can't believe that she got a Razzie for this. And I know that's a big, I don't know if I'm jumping too far ahead. but No, do it. That is like part of the you know, uh, the conversation that I see around this film in terms of her giving like a, a, a bad performance or whatever. There's at the absolutely time. nothing out of place bad about what Paris Hilton is doing I, in this I movie. Like no. not, I, not I a one thing. I think she's kind of good. She sounds like the best friend and like a, a friend who I would want, who's just kind of like, no, you know, who's just kind of like down to earth and like, it's fine. Get over, it. you know? Like, yeah. If she wasn't cool. in, if she wasn't in the, the, yeah. the tracksuit, which is a sort of like, it, yeah. it's sort of an I- iconic alignment of, you know, the idea of Paris in a juicy tracksuit. It couldn't, nothing could be more 2005 than that. So like her in a terry cloth tracksuit evokes this sort of imagery and, and thought process all its own. But if they had just like had her dressed like Alicia Cuthbert, she would have just been the rye best friend in this movie. Yeah. So then we have, Chad Michael Murray. And I want to talk mm. about his introduction because I'm sitting there <laughs> oh like, Oh my God. <laughs> uh, upsetting. Yeah. yeah. Offensive. <laughs> Not okay. He is. Well, do you want to describe it a little bit? I mean, he, he comes out of like the burger joint and <clears throat> is drinking a beer. Uh, and then total piece of trash. Kicks <laughs> a homeless man's money and says, get a job. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking worst. Okay. Yeah. It's just like, 
him okay. as, as a character who we will learn through very clear exposition throughout the movie can't hold down a job because it's always nope. the manager's fault has like been in and out of either jail or run-ins with the authorities since like his adolescence to his like young adulthood life that he's in presently now he's not an upstanding citizen he's kind of a dirtbag he's bought into this notion of himself as the problem child so he's like living the self-fulfilling prophecy of being a bad kid presumably because he's afraid of not living up to any sort of other expectations so he just phones it in all the time and here he is just like kicking shit out of a homeless guy's hands and being like get a job while he's drinking with his like lackey best friend who clearly has but... like extra feelings for him who just follows him around oh, everywhere. yes yes <laughs> but if you do get your shirt dirty he will take off his tank top and switch oh you so or I... but not without standing there bare chested first for like a full five minutes <laughs> i mean the fact that arms. it gives us in a in a extended bare chested uh, Chad Michael Murray, while we don't have to like lewdly watch Alicia Cuthbert put on the tank top. Um, I'm not mad about it. Appreciated. I mean, appreciated. But so, so when when he jumps into this film, they're all talking about going to see a football game, which, yeah. look, I'm not straight. I don't know about this, but it doesn't feel like it checks out. But I was fucking shocked when their game plan was to just pull over in the woods anywhere yeah. and camp. That was weird, uh, Florida. Yeah, what? they're they're driving they're driving like through the Panhandle on the way to Georgia, and they're the like the boyfriend who's dedicated Paris's boyfriend who's dedicated Richard Richard I think to getting to that game is like no we got to drive through the night we got to drive through the night and get there early and everyone right. else is like no fuck that we're tired and so they truly and we brought pull, all this camping stuff they pull into <laughs> a field and just camp in the middle of fucking nowhere and it was like okay that's an odd choice. All of these um, weird, like, sort of, like, de character-developing, like, plot lines where, like, Paris may or may not be pregnant and, like, Alicia wants to move to New York and Jared Padalecki doesn't want to. Yeah. It was just like, right. this has zero. I don't care. None of this matters. <laughs> oh, my God. It takes so long. It's, it's so much. <laughs> well, and you, you might be sitting there thinking, now, why is Chad Michael Murray on this trip? And some dialogue really clears it up because yeah. his sister says to him, because he doesn't like sports, his sister says to him, why are you even on this trip? <laughs> and he changes the subject. Completely. I mean, just <laughs> never even answers it. Yeah. What? So you never find out why he's on this trip. No, he's just there to, like, I, I think in his heart of, in his, like, vulnerable heart of hearts, he wants to have some, like, one-on-one -on -one time with his twin sister. Yes, absolutely. Um, but, like, when she's like, why are you even here and just being rude to everyone? everyone all he says is he leans down condescendingly and he says remember you're the good twin i'm the evil one <sighs> which is not an answer of any kind whatsoever an no. and so uh, presumably i guess he just wants to hang out with his sister who he carries a grudge against but also like has like the one true connection because they're twins there's so also the well there's also the suggestion that he was a football player because he throws that like really aggressive and like well he had a scholarship that he oh, lost because right. he got because oh, he had, had run-ins right. with the, yeah he he, like they're right. playing they're playing catch in front of him J jared padalicki very eagerly is playing football and the, the ball puppy. lands at you know chad michael murray's feet he he waits till jared gets all the way to him he picks the ball up and he throws it on a fucking rope to Such an alpha to somebody nice else throw, and just bro. like hits him right in the <laughs> chest i saw him See why they gave you a scholarship. Yeah, it's a real tragedy, ain't it? Yeah, it is. He's just mm. deflecting everything that he's pissed away 
um, through virtue of his like just tossing away of his privilege that he's like clearly upset about, but he's going to pretend he's all gruff and tough and he doesn't care. But we also learn later on that the reason he has had his toughest run in with the law is because he was looking out for his friend Dalton who stole a car he's and loyal. he offered himself up to the cops and was like, no, 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 I stole the car. It was me. So in my Chad, life, Chad Michael Murray went to jail for his friend. Which is certainly illustrative of why this friend is so deeply, completely devoted to him because they're true, they're they're true brothers. They're true brothers. I think before we I realized we skipped one very crucial aughts element here. Oh wow. and that is that this movie opens with backstory origin for a horror <laughs> oh, movie in God, the mid aughts right. you've got backstory on a backstory very, a very sad a backstory. very sad mystery yeah yep. because what you you don't see are the faces of anybody involved mm-hmm. thus setting up the very sad mystery mm-hmm. you've got high chairs just like halloween resurrection uh in 2002 kind of mm-hmm. like alludes to but never delivers on not this time yep you've got chartreuse Tape. because it's 2005 <laughs> mm-hmm. um you've got full black christmas without quite being black christmas yeah <laughs> all the way to the villain who looks a lot like uh like he's wearing an agnes mask yes <laughs> uh, well, although you, this you, is a you year have, before i mean you open with you open with um like horrifically realized child abuse and yeah. you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's how we're going to start, to start a movie with preamble. child abuse. That's our preamble: is children being a child being restrained with tape and belts to his high chair, being uh, fed his breakfast. Sit still. Stop it. Oh, why can't you be more like your brother? Why is it that every odd slasher has a child abuse backstory? It Every really, fucking one it, of them. Because it has to be the worst thing you could think of. Because nothing could be like a shade lower than the worst thing you could think of in the 2000s. They were like, what's really just going to trouble people? What's really going to be disturbing? <laughs> Child abuse. Like, Hills Have Eyes remake. What's the worst thing Ugh. we could do during a rape scene? We're going to have one of the nuclear waste deformed people forcibly breastfeed off of a woman while she's watching someone else be raped in the other side of this camper because one or the other of those things wasn't bad enough so let's start house of wax 2005 with child abuse and hat on a hat (laughs) yes (laughs) well speaking of hats (laughs) how about the moment that dalton emerges from the tent to do a gay fashion show Elton John, but more gay. Then there's a great line, and he's like, Elton John's gay? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, pause. And then I was like, you know what, odds? Yeah, you could be a little bit homophobic here because that was good. Well, and that and that and that is that is such a that is such a archetypal moment of the the casualist homophobia of the 2000s. Where I was fucking offended. Yeah. Because look at what he was wearing. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's yeah. supposed to be gay we would never we would <laughs> never he well i mean the the prevailing image of what is um frighteningly gay in the 2000s is very much a straight construction of what queerness is and isn't right. actually indicative of of, of queerness re- queerness in reality but like there isn't ever a threat attached to the notion of 
homosexuality or queerness. That's not something that Chad Michael Murray says out of a sense of like, so I'm gonna kick your ass, like smear the queer style. Like, it's not gonna be that because in the 2000s, we just threw that stuff out. It mm. quote unquote innocuously, because I don't know, it's just a thing we say. It's not like it's a bad word. And that was the, it's this odd line of like such pervasive homophobia mixed with not really a, the most overt threat of that homophobia being followed through on with malice because it's being used by protagonists. Like our protagonists mm. use homophobia so casually that it just like, it's almost like- Also relatively speaking to films of this time, it was like, it could, it, it, I feel like a lot of these films are very homophobic and it's just kind of this consistent, yeah. constant throughout the film. And, yeah. and this was just this kind of sort of one-off where it does make it like, oh, this is a time capsule of a time and a place when this was a joke and this was like funny to say mm -hmm. by a protagonist by a who protagonist. we're supposed to root for in the end, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's not like it's not like the bullies in Carrie or the equivalent yelling dyke or something like that. It's mm, like these right. are the characters that are going to carry us through to the end that we that we care about and that we love and that are really good looking. And they're going to fight the like weirdo hillbillies that are going to be the antagonists in the story. Like, no, these are the people you root for. I, before we completely move on from the queerness there, there is this wonderful moment where Dalton and Chad Michael Murray are peeing next to each other and then they mm. look at each other's dicks and then mm. Chad like elbows him like uh, like playfully and he's like, eh. it's so weird. And I'm like, are they going to fuck? And then mm. that other character comes up and asks them yeah. if they're going to fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's extra interesting to me in the conversation around like, homophobia in these movies because they will still contrive scenarios to create homosocialization between yes. men and not take every one of those opportunities to then undercut it with with queer phobia but there there are so many contrived situations then in movies that stage homosocial and homo like affectionate to, to, to homoerotic behavior that then apparently aren't like necessarily indicative of how of like real life so it's just like okay is that like dude like all the guys making these movies just want to see gay guy shit more like what what is this because it's Bree the is only nodding way. Bree is just yeah, nodding please, Bree. Yes. yes they do I genuinely don't know come on dude hey you guys gonna have sex what because me and Paige are so you two go pick them up yeah right I think that we have only shown male intimacy mm. through like one or two different ways ever yeah. in yeah. film at mm -hmm. least at this point and so it's like okay so they're either actually in love mm -hmm. or they're like broing around in kind of a queer way yeah like mm. horse play horse that play. means they re that means they're really close yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> friends till the end yeah <laughs> and so, i oh yes sam oh no i was just gonna say i uh, i mean in the interest of getting to the town Yes. Uh, mm. Chad Michael Murray, uh, this this truck shows up. Chad Michael Murray's like throwing a bottle at it. Uh, yeah. What? I love Talk about a Chad drama Michael, queen. I love watching Chad Michael Murray play a tough. Escalating. Um, yeah, because they're, oh they're, 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 they've set up their campground that's probably on somebody else's property, so they shouldn't be surprised that someone's mad they're there. And a truck shows up to kind of menace them, and somebody standing in backlight doesn't really come out, and Chad takes this as a threat, so he stands up, throws his beer bottle at the truck, and breaks the breaks the light, the, the front headlight. And that's when, like, they're kind of like, hmm, it's kind of weird being here. 
but that what what this area what's important to set up about this area too is because this is a, this is beginning a taste of the grotesqueness that you're gonna the effects and the gross mm. outs and the the gore in this movie are so good and so while good. they're you know they're playing football while they're while they're setting up camp and a wind passes by and they're like oh jesus what's that smell nobody goes to investigate because it's dark the next morning well next afternoon uh the the guy richard richard comes out and he's like it's two o'clock we gotta go i can't believe they all slept till fucking 2 p.m if anybody's ever slept in a How? tent it is hot as f like it yeah. gets so oh my, hot yeah. the second the, the sun is out in the yes. fucking panhandle in the florida yeah. panhandle my jesus and so no you're up is, at 5 30 yeah that like, fucking sun and you're like god damn it i have to do a whole day now <laughs> yes and so he gets up, everybody stirs, and then Alicia Cuthbert decides she's going to go investigate where that smell's coming from. And there's a great sequence where Paris is just following her, being like, I cannot believe you're making me do this. <laughs> Only you. Come on, it'll be fine. I'm throw up. Ugh. Oh my God, I hate you. And it's very, like, they're being cute friends. Well, Alicia careens down a blind drop in a hill and slides face first into a pit of rotting animal corpses it, it i mean it's one Incredible. of those things where you can smell the screen like you suddenly like it's like when you watch movies set in like pre like in in like middle like dark ages england and you're like oh i can smell the street right now you her hands are in the goo and the bile in the gore and she's screaming that's some and great so sound the, design the, oh yeah and the reason chad michael murray disrobes is because his sister her shirt is covered in viscera so he takes off his shirt gives it to her and puts his hoodie back on and zips it up okay, and that well, is like what that. when the hillbilly <laughs> arrives the first hillbilly arrives um because what they've also found when they woke up is that their one of their cars has been disabled somebody has fucked with it in the night and i think broken the fan belt on jared padalecki's car so stranger shows up and he's like oh well if you need a fan belt like i can drive you to the town to get what you need and thus enters ambrose ambrose you know, i'd love to read you the the wikipedia sentence there because i read it when i was trying to figure out a character's name and here's how it describes it the next morning, Wade discovers that his car's fan belt is broken and Carly falls into a pit of rotting animal carcasses. <laughs> One sentence. I mean, wow. What a movie. Happy yeah. 2005. Yeah. I, yeah. We are there. We are on our way to this tourist trap town. We're mm -hmm. in the car with a hillbilly that we don't know if we can trust, but we probably can, but we yeah. won't. Yeah. You know, and then immediately demanding to get out. Yeah. He he takes them down the road a piece to the car and they're getting very uncomfortable because the guy's eyeballing Carly, Alicia Cuthbert. And they're like, look, we'll just walk the rest of the way. We'll just walk the rest of the way. It's fine. And when they say we'll walk the rest of the way, it seemingly takes them 30 seconds to get to the town. So I think he took them all the way to the anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Why was he going to try and, and Oregon trail his way across this Creek? They don't yeah. need to forge it. Just yeah. fucking let him walk. It's right yeah. there. It's like being like, Oh, don't worry, cab. I'll just get out and walk the rest of the way because we're in deadlock traffic right now. Um, and wait, what I, I think I love about Jared Padalecki as Wade, because this is pre him, him being a sensation in Supernatural, is that he's just dorky. Wade is yeah. just dorky. Like, and he's, he's so, he's so yes! excited. There's he a, sucks. He's so excited. There's a wax museum. He's so excited. There's a wax. And not that he wax is. museums aren't cool, but he just has this like, hey, you want to go check it out? It's like, what's your, Wade, are we here for fun? Like, 
we're in this weird town nobody's around they interrupt what they think is a funeral service in a in a chapel to get somebody to help them at like the hardware store down the street and meanwhile he's getting annoyed that anybody is looking at his girlfriend as though it is her fault and being just kind of like a, a, a an annoying not like a shitty guy but like okay break up with him now before you get to new york carly because you don't want to waste your time on his ass once you get to the big city i would argue that this entire plot mm. is is like it is based on the fact that Jared Padalecki Wade's character is mm-hmm. such a douchebag and asshole <laughs> that she has to overcompensate and be polite and therefore like gets entangled within this world and like, <laughs> the, the mechanic guy who's Bo whose name Bo. is and because she because ha- he's just like being such an asshole like immediately from the get-go mm-hmm. in every possible way he's like entering the house of wax when it's closed yeah oh yeah and belt off of the thing even when the in the then before when they were camping he's like oh it's not somebody's property there was no fence and it's like that's not a thing like, yeah how that works <laughs> but Wade's just trespassing over and over and over again in this movie doesn't give a fuck doesn't and when he goes gets in, what he deserves and when he goes Absolutely. into the when he goes into the wax museum where it is pretty incredible that the entire structure is made out of wax he just like he's he's in awe of it he's very impressed but he also starts like lighting up his lighter Breaking and shit <laughs> and melting things yes. it's like this is literally the worst thing you could do in where you are right now and you're being a real asshole about it can you imagine yourself on a road trip with your boyfriend and you get to this tiny town that's like kind of magical, but, but there are no people, but there are puppies in the window. <laughs> yeah. You end up at a funeral, but like it weirdly only has one talking person who's going to yeah. meet you at the gas station later. And then you, br- your boyfriend drags you into a wax museum and he starts lighting other people's oh shit God. on fire. Yeah. And you have a realization that you're 22 years old, that maybe you're going to be pregnant soon with his kid. And you see the rest of your life flash before you you realize that you are oppressively heterosexual and you enter into a depression spiral because there's nothing you can do about that particularly the, dark the horror of this movie is what if he doesn't die <laughs> absolutely oh my god yes a thousand percent I, who and listen if you've ever been on a road trip with a boyfriend who you weren't sure about oh, you were sure by the end of that road trip <laughs> settled yeah not least of all if it's through florida so what alicia sees out of the corner of her eye she sees vincent she sees the what she doesn't know at that point is the brother of Bo, the twin brother of Bo. and just to continue the b and e streak of wade in this movie he goes outside to check what happens and he starts like trying to pry open the storm cellar like wade is just trying to get in every fucking part of this town where he has not been invited and all to a glorious soundtrack soundtrack is amazing yeah. even when you hate everybody you're like is that the deftones you're like like this movie this movie is the, is one of those movies that makes you think if you're a millennial like can we just score everything still though to like lincoln park and papa roach can we just do that now and just not i'm not talking new songs i'm taking those old songs can we just make horror movies feature all of like like down with the sickness and fucking chop suey like can we All bring back corn can we do corn again like it really makes you yearn for the alt rock alt pop rock station in the town that you had growing up if you've never heard a song that made you want to take off your clothes listen to a song listen to spitfire which is like the lead single by prodigy that's on this album and it, by the way a myspace exclusive reveal of Ooh, the music wow. video in myspace Ooh. which was one year old at the time oh. um 
Wow. Oh, yeah. What a time. So you had to log on if you wanted behind the scenes because they didn't have Twitter yet. <laughs> so it was just, it was MySpace and that's it. So listen to Prodigy Spitfire, but there is a second track that is an absolute gem that that sounds so 2005. It's like as if you put it in, in just a bottle mm-hmm. and it's called Cut Me Up. Oh. Um, it, do you know what I'm talking about, Jordan? Because I saw your face Mar change. Superstar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the song itself is just wearing black eyeliner. Its bangs are flat ironed. It's got black and white stripes on. It, it, it's fully monochrome, but with a red lip. Reminder, Sam. Juliette Lewis is featured on Spitfire by Prodigy. Oh, that's right! <laughs> oh, that is I what forgot. we are working with here. I mean, this, like this, like you said, there's Deftones, there's Prodigy, there's My Chemical fucking Romance, that's there's closing. Joy Division, there is yeah. Disturbed. Could this movie have happened without Disturbed? And you know what there's also? Could Marilyn any Manson. We can cut Marilyn Manson mm, out of the cut. soundtrack. We can yeah. bury Marilyn Manson's legacy in hell. He can, we can fuck never, right off. We yeah. can fuck right off and we can... We can put Marilyn Manson's ashes of his legacy into the closest hole, the deepest hole, and just fill it right back in. That's what we can do. God, I want to set that to music, Jordan. <laughs> can we set it to Disturbed? Yes. Can, we, can, <laughs> yes. can we set it to something from Hybrid Theory? Like, this is, the, but the, the crucial role, though, that Wade plays in this movie and this is, this is, this is the backbone of House of Wax is how he dies Mm. because eventually the preacher slash gas station attendant uh decides to help them he's like oh i don't have 15 inch fan belts with me down here i got some up at the house that's where i get my deliveries so he takes wade and carly up to the house and wade has to use the bathroom so they're gonna go in together and carly's gonna wait in the truck well wade obviously goes fucking snooping where he shouldn't be can't help himself yeah and touching he's everything at, he's fucked at this point already but he's again he's a trespasser so he, how is he getting deliveries at this house if you have to forge the oregon trail to get there well i mean he's clearly i mean it's a lie like he clearly isn't it's a lie and they just follow him because the white privilege of these kids tells them that they can follow this guy that they don't know in this weird town where no one else exists and they're right. gonna be a-okay going in his house getting in his truck just watching these people keep saying yes to terribly endangering ideas is like actually they would actually these attractive white young people would absolutely believe we're gonna be fine we're gonna be fine Mm. and especially to your point brie because i feel like now thinking about it in those terms i'm flashing back to the hitcher and thinking about like sophia bush's fuck politeness attitude yeah but she you know and and seeing this guy being like the much awful version of that boyfriend Mm -hmm. it makes sense that all of the decisions that are made are made yeah yeah they're invincible they're invincible and so when wade is getting like fully pursued through through this house this is such a great scene he ends up in a room where the power gets cut and so they change the lighting in the room to where like there's a light on jared padalecki so you can see what he's moving but it's simulating he's in complete darkness like we are meant to understand that his character is in pitch black So he's like slowly feeling his way around the room and doesn't know that Vincent, the the sculptor, the wax sculptor twin is in there with him. So the suspense is just building up as you have this very bizarre, eerie lighting in this scene. And then it comes. Then the first, the first serious act of violence, 
the Achilles cut, which doesn't get as much attention because Paris Hilton has an Achilles sever that happens later on. And it's Paris and it's a bigger, like it's later in the movie, it builds up. But a pair of shears just coming in behind Jared Padalecki and snipping that tendon clear. Just, just, it is roll. When you, when your Achilles tendon is severed, Mm. it rolls up into what your i'm sorry oh, God. <laughs> it, this is what i was told when i had a vertical sever of my achilles tendon but Oof. so that is what has happened to wade and as he I'm is sweating he's he's crawling away he obviously doesn't make it vincent gets him onto his work table he has anesthetized him and he is progressing to move all remove all of his body hair with wax with hot wax and he is he's first sewing up injuries where he had stabbed him because he's gonna have to make a wax build out of him and then he gets put in the the waxing shower where he is placed in the position he's going to be when he is put up in the museum for display. And so he has all of these posts and needles in his body holding him in place while a multi-headed shower sprays hot wax all over his body. And that wide shot of him being sprayed in the wax is still like one of my favorite horror visuals like ever. I remember so it being just like briefly in the trailer, but like you're watching that and it, I mean, it's, it, it couldn't be more gruesome and terrifying. You just like, cause everything that's happening to like, he's being stabbed. He's clearly going to die, but like he is going to die slowly. Cause he's alive when he's waxified, but he first has to have boiling wax sprayed all over his body, live through the shaping and sculpting process and then be set alive in the display area until he just expires inside the wax mold. Like one of those tiny red cheeses that you peel, you know, uh, <laughs> the, baby bells. the baby bells. But it, and, and it's such an effective scene that you don't even ask yourself, no. how the fuck does he clean that shower? Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> I guess it would just have to be run so wow. hot that it would constantly be remelting, like remelting. My God, the... what a chore. I mean, I guess it's worth it if you're making art, but. Well, and I, there's, there's an interesting scene too, because like this movie I think does a good job. Like, yes, Paris ends up running for her life in her underwear. It's horror. There's going to be, a, and it's Paris. They're, they're, this is what they're going to do. It's not gratuitous. And there is like, there is a scene where we see Vincent at work in his shop and he is sculpting a female body. Like he has what we don't know that there are human bodies inside the wax yet, but he is sculpting the nude female body before it is clothed and set out for display. So it, there are interesting ways in which it gives you sort of that gratuitousness, like this wax body that he's working on, like that we really get these close-ups on the boobs that he is very lovingly shaping. But that's not a human body. Like that is indeed a, a wax body. Like that, that's not a lady. And so it gives you these bits of red meat, these bits of horror red meat without actually, to me, crossing that line of like, are you fucking serious? Like eye rolling it where did you really have to? Which I think for a time when that was not the order, when restraint was not the order of the day, I thought that was handled i thought the bodies in this movie were handled actually very well even when paris is doing her striptease i don't think she even gets her clothes off before her boyfriend is like i gotta go change the music outside like i think she like takes off her the top layer of her tracksuit. i agree like, 
she's not like just like dancing around in her underwear she's playing for her life in her underwear but like we're not having to watch the like the lewd body following close-ups on paris for like and it's it's over pretty quickly once it starts because then yeah. the music gets turned off and then her boyfriend dies yeah and, as, <laughs> and she is wearing like a cover when she's running in her yeah. underwear yeah and, and i do have to say her death is like uh not it is satisfying like it's a good when they have the the wide shot and it's yeah. like the pole through her forehead oh god and, yeah and it's just it's beautiful image <laughs> i don't know it really it's, is the, it's the, really nice like you have the, so well you, done you have the, the the tendon cutting of jared in the creepy dark room you have his waxing process you have um you have jared then in <clears throat> the museum display area and Dalton arrives at the house at one point he's looking around he's you know just trying to like and he realizes that oh my god that looks like Dalton and he can see his eyes moving he's like okay buddy I I'm gonna get you out of there I'm gonna get you out of there and he tries to start peeling the wax off of Dalton to get him out of there Whoops. and it just takes <laughs> his, it just takes his skin with it holy shit man hold tight man hold tight I'm gonna get you out of this Oh, oh, oh. All right, I'm sorry, man, I'm sorry. Oh my God. And he just keeps peeling and trying to help him in this desperation and just keeps peeling off more of his face. And you just see, but for his moving eyeballs, you the see tears. tears roll down his wax face. Oh, He's buddy. Crying because his fucking face <laughs> is being peeled off. And that's when Vincent finds Dalton in there. He comes charging at him with like a scythe and just slices a cross section of Jared Padalecki's face off. And you see like the side of the teeth in the skeleton. That was great. There's that moment. There's Dalton's head fully fucking coming off. There is Alicia Cuthbert's finger being cut off. There's Alicia Cuthbert's mouth being super glued shut. Like, I'm not trying to run through all of the movie, but I'm just saying. Each yes, one you these, are. Each time I watch it. <laughs> Each time I watch it, I am I am impressed anew at how good the effects are, how well they hold up, and how every time I see them, I kind of have to scream or shake my whole body to be like, la, 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 get it off, get it off, get it off, get it off. Like by the time, like by the time you get to like the whole house itself coming down, you've seen so many fucked up things. You're like, this totally makes sense that something this crazy would be happening. I saw a guy's fucking face get cut off earlier. Bree, do you want to set the stage for, I think, why you probably picked this movie, which is the giant set piece and well, one of the reasons that is this magnificent house. Uh-huh. And it's just such a, it's such a combination, I feel like, in a lot of ways of like old, old Hollywood filmmaking and like this new kind of, but the set piece of the house when they finally get to go upstairs and the, uh, I forget how the fire starts. Yeah, it starts down. So the fire starts, it like the grand the culmination basement. of this movie happens, begins when like the, the ultimate like crazy finale happens when Carly and Chad Michael Murray uh, he's not Wade. Wade is Jared Padalecki, but I'm forgetting his name right now. So when Alicia and Jared, uh, Alicia and fuck it, uh, Chad Michael Murray are in the basement and he's like, I've got to see if I've got to see if my friend is alive. He's got to go see. He's got to go see if he can find his buddy. So he gets down to the basement. He sees his buddy. He sees him in the waxing shower and he's like, I'm going to get you out of here. I'm going to get you out of here. And there's that incredible moment where he goes to remove the skull restraints from his friend and instead just pops his head clean off. Get you out of there. No. No. Nick. Nick, please. Oh. 
pops his fucking friend's head right off in his hands and has the most incredible despondent horror that crosses his face as like Carly collapses into his chest, being aware of what he's just done. Vincent shows up downstairs. They get into it. There is a constant like kiln burning basically to keep the wax hot so it doesn't me- so it doesn't like get cold and stiff. So there, the fire gets like juiced up in the fight and it spills out and then the basement catches fire and then it starts traveling up through the house. And that is when we learn when Alicia and Chad run up to the like ground floor area, basically where the, the big display is of wax people. And then the fire starts traveling up from the basement, melting the wax ceiling of the basement slash floor of the main area and starts traveling up throughout the house which is where they really realize for like in earnest or the first time, like the whole house is wax. So the entire structure is slow melting around them as they flee to, as, as Alicia flees to the upstairs of the house where the final confrontation with Vincent will happen. That is how we get to, to our, to our ending point. And then we, but, and in this time too, right before this, we learned that Vincent and Bo mm-hmm. were in fact conjoined twins, yes. not just any kind of twin, mm-hmm. but they were conjoined. And because Vincent wears this, like has this like wax face, which he mm-hmm. fixes himself by heating up a spoon. Love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. He um, does like his own facial sculpting when it gets incredible. fucked up. Yeah. It's really awesome. Actually. You can and- catch him on season 13 of drag race. <laughs> <laughs> I love his tutorials on YouTube, but he, 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 when we get up to the, I love the symbolic when she, when Alicia gets into the, the bedroom, that incredible. fucking bed. And then Vincent's, she pushes a, a display wax crib in front of the door as though that will do anything in a wax house. Yeah. And it's also the <laughs> lightest item. Like not I, her you best could, choice. Any of us could pick that thing up and throw it across the room. It is not a sturdy item. And up until this point, she is, I mean, and throughout the film, she is kind of like, you know, holding her own in a way. Uh Bo gets that really ridiculous, like punch of her downstairs but she comes back with you know she she holds her own she has the baseball bat and everything but well yeah because at this point like the reason why the final showdown is vincent versus the twins is because there's been a confrontation in the main floor with the fire going on where it is chad michael murray versus Bo. they're fighting alicia initially gets knocked the fuck out she comes back though with a bat downs bow and then you're like oh god please don't run away just finish him off and she does she beats his ass to death with a bat so one twin one evil twin is down and it is vincent versus it is vincent versus our heroes alicia and chad bringing vincent up to the bedroom showdown with them and to get into that 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 bedroom mm-hmm. he just you know, Jack, uh, Jack Nicholson shining, like mm-hmm. slams his knife through the wax in the door, peels it with his hands in this like wonderful visual of the of the door just kind of like melting and folding in on itself. And then perfectly cuts through the two little Siamese, you know, the like the conjoined twin babies in their mm-hmm. little crib. Yes. And just a just I a just hot it. knife well, before before he even, it's before he even glorious it's before he even tears his way through. Carly pushes the crib up in front of the door, and the first thing you see of him coming through is just the knife 
through the door and it's all wax mind you it just goes slow down the camera just follows the knife as it travels beautiful and only as it's going down do you realize there is a wax replica of the infant conjoined twins in that crib and it just slides right through between their heads where they were separated when they when they were no longer conjoined after a medical procedure when they were little it splits them apart and that's when you see vincent pull his way through the wax door and then throw the crib out of the way because of course he did it's worth noting that this is the point in the film where we have solved the very sad mystery (laughs) so in the beginning what we can't see is that these twins were conjoined and the reason why vincent's face is covered is because it's all fucked up and like all that stuff and it's like so now we have the answers to the questions none of us were really asking and the house is on fire which Mm -hmm. by the way this can't be the first time that happened there's a fucking kill in the basement and the entire house is literal wax how is this (laughs) the first time he didn't think that through he's obviously been at this for decades there are hundreds of people in this town (laughs) hundreds of people who are all and again just to speak to the like you said it's a set within a set and in the set of the town every person that does exist is a dead person that has been cast in wax and placed to be a character in this display and that means you have the amazing scene where alicia cuthbert who is post prying her own super glued lips open so it looks like she's just like covered in blood lipstick she's sitting in the town's fake movie theater oh yes while she is being stopped down by bow and a shotgun so it's all these wax encased dead bodies with her sitting there pretending to be one of them and just between that staging and the cathedral alone where you have like it's filled with mannequins shortly not like actually wax people it looks amazing the the puppetry the prop mastery in this movie is so elaborate and it's just like so much of what makes it compelling is the fact that our characters have actual tangible places to run through and things to interact with throughout the course of the danger. Even with Paris, where she ends up in like a closed down factory that they've used to like hoard all these cars from the people that they've killed and like stolen their shit. Her running through like the like the maze of, of auto bodies and rigs, like that's a great scene. You know, Breathe, that makes me want to ask you about the old Hollywood versus new Hollywood thing, especially because this movie is a remake of an old film. Can, what were you, where were you, what were you saying about that? Or what, what is the connection there? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I was just thinking, I mean, in terms of majority, like you were just saying, like in terms of majority of the effects in the film, a lot of them up until the final sequence with the melting house are practical effects. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we do have the sense of like tangibleness and, and like realness that we get in like older films like big films from studios that I don't really feel it's now shifted right because of like CGI and Mm -hmm. everything we don't need it and especially to like the film is like self-reflexive in that the film that's being played in the movie theater Mm -hmm. is whatever happened to baby Jane incredible work of art which is um which is about two really like a toxic ass relationship between siblings Mm -hmm. between two sisters that happens to star both Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, two of Hollywood's like biggest stars to have ever existed. Mm -hmm. But the film is like after their prime when they're old and they're doing like B horror films because that's all that those actresses could get when they were old and like not quote unquote attractive anymore. Mm -hmm. And I just think that, I don't know, for me, it was just like, we know we got you it's okay yes. you're safe in our hands because we have a set of wax <laughs> like, yep. we're gonna melt this bitch it's okay <laughs> like... the fact that in in this movie that has 
by the way, the, the rating, it's so criminally under-reviewed <laughs> or underrated in its reviews, has thought to the level of putting that film on that screen in this movie. It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, you're actually thinking this through. So don't be fooled by all the snark that hides the depth of this film. That's just how people talk then in the movies. A lot of this movie, uh, I think what what's hard is looking back and thinking about how fondly everybody, like how many tweets have we had, Jordan? Where people are like, when are you covering House of Wax? Like it is a beloved film yep. that is, um, it is so of its time and mm-hmm. yet simultaneously aware of its time, like to tie together, tie up all of the Paris Hilton stuff and that death she's killed. And then the killer picks up the camera and films her. Mm-hmm. So from start to finish, we have Paris Hilton through the lens mm-hmm. of an actual like video recorder, because of course we didn't have our, have it on our phones then. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, the layers there and the, mm-hmm. the depth and the awareness in house of wax is way more than it had to be. And mm-hmm. yet, culturally we didn't allow it to be a part of the moment in the moment it wasn't until later after being on rental that i really feel like it joined aught's horror to the degree that it is now it's 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 endlessly fascinating to me that with so many elements of the moment but not even done to a degree that was just ham-fisted and and crazy it wasn't it It was was actually like the ingredient yeah the ingredients Mm. actually make a perfect meal Mm-hmm. in this movie like the ingredients are done in the right measure we've seen it in this era go cattywampus way too far too much sugar too much sugar this actually has the right balance of all the components involved and yet it's still Bree, why does this film deserve to be austerion mm. this is such a good question one i've thought <laughs> about um I, if i mean it's it's it is for everything that we've been talking about in terms of the the spectacle the spectacle mm-hmm. and the 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 lengths that it goes in terms of it's setting um the gore mm-hmm. um but and it's also the perfect time capsule in which everything about it from the soundtrack to the cast um mm. it it just it reads so it just encapsulates this time period so mm-hmm. magnificently mm-hmm. Yes. in a way that um in a way that it i think is uh not like it's not um shame it doesn't make me like go oh god yeah 2005 man you know it's <laughs> like i it's like yeah this is a yeah this is a good film yeah. you know like this 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 holds up with rewatches and and stuff like that yeah and how about you sam you know what? I I really want to just mirror what Bree said. And so I don't have anything to add to that because I do think it is a perfect time capsule and Paris Hilton. Paris Jordan. Hilton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the death of Paris where I love that she gets one good knock in at Vincent. Like she's armed herself with a pole. He comes, mm-hmm. she's hiding in a car. He comes at her. She stabs him in the face and, and like knocks him back a bit. And he, you know, really earns that kill by picking up that pole, wings it, like a spear and it just goes through a car window on the way to impaling her through the skull and it, in, in a that, sugar mill by the way in, not just just so you in case you're wondering and it she just <laughs> she could like obviously it's doa she f- collapses to her knees falls forward the pole hits the ground and her head slowly slides down it as blood starts pouring out the bottom of the pole, the open end bottom of the pole on the ground. And she's in this very dramatic, it's properly like ritualistic killing without actually feeling um, 
rapey and exploitative. Like he picks up the camera, but he doesn't do, I think one of the reasons, a key reason for Ott's Tyrion in this to me and, and immortalizing it as a classic that it is, it is another one of those movies that makes me feel safe when I watch it. Mm. Like mm-hmm. the reason the Saw franchise works for me as a whole is because for the most part, it just chooses violence the entire time. It just chooses gore. It just chooses sight gags. Six, I'm pretty sure it's six, is the only Saw movie I don't really like because it incorporates a rape dungeon. When you make your decision to be as over the top with death and violence as Saw is, you, to me, have implicitly opted out of sexual violence. You don't get to combine the two. It's an either or, because then you're just making a snuff film if you're going to combine those things. And I don't want that. That's the thing I don't want. That's the thing I don't want to watch. And for the the creepy twins in this movie, Bo and Vincent, like they're scary. And he clearly like has eyes on, on Carly, on Alicia Cuthbert. And it makes sense that there would be some weirdness in that way or that he'd be like looking at her a little too closely. But even when he has her bound and he's gluing her mouth shut, he leans in like he's going to kiss her, but he just blows the glue dry on her lips. And Paris is running around in her underwear when she's about to be killed, but she is wearing the covering. And when we, the only time we see breasts are when Vincent is shaping a wax woman down in the basement. There isn't a fetishizing of women's bodies as sexual objects, even though every body that's being victimized is being ultimately turned into an actual object. And there could have been a weird fetishy, leering way that the camera worked in this movie, and it didn't. And I, for a movie that does so much gore and does it so well, the fact that I can enjoy that, just enjoy that, give myself over to it and love it without having to worry about like wanting to feel like I need to shower later or make apologies or excuses for the ways in which it horribly treats um, women and disrespects them. It doesn't do that. I just get to have my gore, I get to have my fun. And I do have to say, shouts out to, I think his name is, I think his name is Yomi, Yomi Colette Sarah, who directed this and also directed Orphan, the phenomenal movie Orphan, and also directed, he's done multiple movies with Liam Neeson, but The Commuter is among them. And that's a legit good, like action Liam Neeson movie. And he also directed The Shallows starring Blake Lively. So Yomi Colette Sarah is a winner in my book. And I think <laughs> House of Wax was the first feature film he directed, and that is one hell of a debut. So as far as like, as far as first features go, House of Wax, Hall of Famer for me. If you have not seen House of Wax, but somehow listened to this entire episode, what I encourage you to do is just put this movie in ASAP because (laughs) uh, I I really do think that it's, you know, a lot of times nostalgia shapes how we look back at films and we're just like, they just don't make them like they used to, but they literally don't make movies like this anymore as far as the full house melting the floor Mm -hmm. out from under them the set pieces are so grand um brie if we want to find you somewhere where would we do that or do you not want to be found that's an option (laughs) that's an option um no that's okay uh i have a very inactive twitter at brie (laughs) kind rewind and that is I, the best Twitter handle out of anybody I know. That is great. Can I plug my letterbox or is that too late? Please? No, please do. Please okay. do. My letterbox is brief encounter B-R-E-E, like my name. Uh, if you want to see me write stupid things about films and obsess over Keanu Reeves. So 
Okay, I want both of those things in your Excellent amazing. pursuit. Jordan, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. And then you can find me um, on Patreon at patreon.com slash Cruciola, where you can support me do things like this, Austerion. And you can find me at Sam Wyman on Twitter and I almost said Facebook. I haven't had a Facebook in forever. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You can find me places um, <laughs> and watch The Quiet Room if you feel like it. Highly recommend, as always. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's hot sliving. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>